السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Once again we gather to continue with our study and commentary of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu Last week we had tafsir and we ended the last session on this hadith two weeks ago. I've been through the background in of this hadith in some detail so I won't repeat myself but a very quick summary as we know in the ninth year of Hijrah, in the month of Rajab, the Prophet ﷺ left from Medina on an expedition which later came to be known as Ghazwat Tabuk and also Ghazwat al-Usra, the expedition of Tabuk, and it was also known as the expedition of great difficulty. In fact, Allah refers to it as al-Usra, the difficulty in the Qur'an. He left with approximately 30,000 Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Others have mentioned higher figures. Imam Waqidi, who was one of the early narrators and historian, historians, he actually mentions a figure of 70,000. But whatever the case, there were at least definitely more than 30,000. Prophet sallallahu marched north of Medina, towards Sham. Eventually he halted at Tabuk, spent approximately 20 days there, and then returned to Medina. This whole, and when he arrived, he arrived in the month of Ramadan. So this whole journey and expedition was known as the campaign of Tabuk. Many incidents took place, a number of miracles also took place on this journey. But we don't have time to go into the details. This was a very critical time for the Muslims because even though they had conquered Makkah al-Mukarramah and they had vanquished their enemies in the region and they had neutralized the threats surrounding them, a possibly greater threat faced them from the north and that was the 
rumoured invasion of the Byzantine Roman army, <coughs> along with their vassals, the Banu Hassan, the Ghassanids. And the Prophet ﷺ, in order to neutralise this threat, he embarked on this preemptive, on this journey as a preemptive measure. So it was a very critical time. As a result, as we learned in the very beginning of the hadith, Ka'b ibn Malik anhu says that normally the Prophet ﷺ would dissimulate and disguise his intention. But on this occasion, considering the lengthy journey, the direction, and the huge numbers of the enemy, the Prophet ﷺ did not disguise his intention, but he made it very clear because of the serious threat. This was just a reflection of the severity and the gravity of the situation. As a result, the Prophet ﷺ, by the command of Allah, expected all able people to join him and no one to remain behind without just cause. And this obligation which he placed on the believers, or this expectation, wasn't of his own accord or on his part. Allah had revealed this command to him. This is what Allah expected. And I'll comment on this later. A few people did remain behind without seeking. A few people rightfully sought permission. They were granted permission. A number of hypocrites cheekily sought permission, even though they had no intention of joining the Prophet ﷺ anyway, regardless of his answer. There were some who, not out of hypocrisy or disbelief, but merely out of their weakness and their procrastination, they failed to join the Prophet ﷺ in time, and were thus one of those who remained behind. Some of them repented, approximately seven of them, and the other three, they, they were remorseful and regretful, but they did not repent in the dramatic fashion that the other seven had done so. As a result... By the end of the journey, when the Prophet ﷺ returned to Medina, there were four distinct categories of people in relation to this expedition. The first one, referred to in the verse of the Qur'an, was till the end of the verse, that those pioneers, early pioneers of the emigrants and the assistants, and those who followed them in a good way. So here Allah praises the sincere muhajirun and the ansar radiyallahu anhum. That was the first group, and this was in the clear majority. Then you had the second group. These were the hypocrites. Some of them under the leadership of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, others from outside the city of Medina. And Allah refers to them in the verse, وَمَّنْ حَوْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ مُنَافِقُونَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ مَرْضُوا عَلَى النِّفَاقِ And they are those around you, 
of the Bedouin and of the people of Medina who are hypocrites and they have persisted in their hypocrisy. This was a second group. There was a third group, those who had failed to join the Prophet ﷺ, but they were not unbelievers, they were not hypocrites, they hadn't lied, it was just their personal failing and weakness. But some of them repented. And Allah refers to them in the verse, وَآخِرُونَ اَعْتَرَفُوا بِذُنُوبِهِمْ خَلَطُوا عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَآخِرَ سَيِّئًا And they are those who confess to their sin, to their sins. They have mixed and combined righteous deeds with unrighteous deeds. Allah accepted their repentance. Then there was a fourth group. This fourth group consisted only of three people. And Allah refers to them in the verse, وَآخَرُونَ مُرْجَوْنَ لِأَمْرِ اللَّهِ إِمَّا يُعَذِّبُهُمْ وَإِمَّا يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِمْ That there are others whose matter has been deferred to the decree of Allah. Allah will either punish them or He will forgive them. So this fourth group consisted only of three people, and they were Ka'b ibn Malik, Murarat ibn al-Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah radiyallahu anhum. All three were Ansari companions. Not from the emigrants. So this whole story that we have been, the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu that we have been studying is primarily about these three people and about the aftermath of the expedition of uh, Dabuk. We covered the first part of the hadith and we'll continue from where we left off. The part where we left off was when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not remember me, or he did not mention me at least, until he had reached the book. And only there did he mention me. So these were the last two, three sentences, I'll just repeat them. Well, I explained in detail, it's quite long. And... One of, one of the Banu Salima said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that uh, his preoccupation with his pomp and his clothes has kept him behind. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam remained silent, but Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an defended Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu an and said to the other companion that terrible indeed is what you have just said, but by Allah... We only know good of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. Still the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam remained silent. This is where we left off. Qala Ka'b ibn Malik. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَنِي Then when, it, when news reached me, أَنَّهُ تَوَجَّهَ قَافِلًا That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had now headed i.e. back to Medina, on his return. My anxiety came into my presence. A simple way of translating it could be, my anxiety seized me, my anxiety uh, presented itself to me, my anxiety came to me. But, as I mentioned at the very beginning, Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu was a poet. 
and a master of the Arabic language. And one of the reasons for selecting this hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari is that it is actually uh, a sublime example of Arabic literature and prose, recognized as such by scholars over the centuries. We may not be able to understand it or appreciate it, but it takes an artist to appreciate art. It takes genius to recognize talent. And with the words, فَلَمَّا حَضَرَنِي هَمِّي Just these three words. Sorry, uh, he says, حَضَرَنِي هَمِّي When I learned that the Prophet ﷺ was heading back to Medina on his return, حَضَرَنِي هَمِّي Just two words. I've translated it as, حَضَرَنِي هَمِّي It's a literal translation, but... Rather than the literal translation being clunky and simplistic, it actually reveals the true meaning of Ka'ba ibn Malik radiyallahu words. He says, Hadarani hummi, my anxiety came into my presence. You see, in Arabic, hum means anxiety, it's to do with the future. Ghum is sorrow, sadness to do with the past. Now, as far as, far as both hum and ghum are concerned, sorrow and sadness for the past, or hum, anxiety for the future, these two emotions are forever part of a person's life. And the only way to deal with them is to block them, to overlook them, to stop thinking about them, to stop dwelling on the past, to stop ruminating on the past or the future. Simple, to stop thinking about them. When a person reflects on the sorrows of the past, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. The more you think about it, the worse it gets. Whether it's to do with the past or the future. But it's always there. And sometimes there are things that should concern us. But we in our low, in our frivolity, and in our distractions, we're able to forget about these things until the time comes. When the time comes then these anxieties and these worries and concerns, they come full to the fore. And they overtake us and overwhelm us. And this is exactly what happened with Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. He's describing in just two words his condition. He knew he had done wrong by procrastinating, by delaying unnecessarily, by taking things too slowly. He knew he had done wrong by not joining the Prophet ﷺ from the very first day. He knew he was wrong for delaying it even after the departure of the Prophet ﷺ. Now Rasulullah ﷺ remained absent for almost two months. He left in Rajab and he returned in Ramadan. 
So for two, approximately two months, Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu in a way is indicating that he carried on with his life. And although it was there at the back of his mind, that he hadn't joined the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the seriousness of the situation, and the gravity of what he had done, and the true worry and concern about facing Rasulullah did not really hit him until the moment he learned that the Prophet was now on his way back to Medina. So although that anxiety was there, it had never come to the fore. It had never overwhelmed him or overtaken him. And he was always absent in a way. It had never come into his presence. But the moment he learned that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is on his way back to Medina, he says, Hadarani hammi. My anxiety came into my presence. Hadarani hammi. Fatafiqtu. Atadhakkarul kadib. So when I learned, when news reached me that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Heading to Medina on his return, my anxiety came into my presence. So I began pondering over the lies. I began recalling lies. And I began saying, بماذا أخرج من سخطه غدا؟ With what can I extract myself? With what can I come out of it from his displeasure tomorrow? What is it that I can say which will extract me from his displeasure tomorrow? واستعنت على ذلك بكل ذي رأي من أهلي and I sought the assistance of every intelligent person of my family in this. So he went around discussing with his family members that what excuse can I make? What can I say? What can I say to please him, to extract myself from his displeasure, to come out safely? What can I say? He thought about it, he reflected on it, he, in, he imagined and envisaged different <coughs> scenarios. He approached members of his family and discussed with them, what can I say? Obviously, he was very concerned, he was anxious. Then when it was said that verily the Messenger of Allah has come close to his return to Medina. All falsehood disappeared from me. He masterfully portrays the emotions of his heart and the thoughts of his mind. Prophet wasallam is on his way back through the desert towards Medina. He's describing what his state of mind and heart is. He's anxious, he's worried, he's planning all sorts of lies. He's approaching members of his family. And he's very honest about this. Fear. 
But for some reason, his anxiety, his disturbance, his being unsettled and perturbed, all of that disappeared the moment he learned that the Prophet was now very close to Medina. Why? He says, وَعَرَفْتُ أَنِّي لَنْ أَخْرُجَ مِنْهُ أَبَدًا بِشَيْءٍ فِيهِ كَذِبٍ And I recognized, I realized, that I will never be able to extract myself from his displeasure with anything in which there is falsehood. فَأَجْمَعْتُ صِدْقَهُ So I resolved to speak the truth to him. And in another narration of the same hadith, he says, I realized that only the truth will save me. وَأَصْبَحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ قَادِمًا And Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam arrived in the morning. وَكَانَ إِذَا قَدِمَ مِنْ سَفَرٍ And he, when he would return from any journey, بَدَأَ بِالْمَسْجِدِ He would begin at the masjid. فَيَرْكَعُ فِيهِ رَكَعَتَيْنِ So he would pray two rak'at salah in the masjid. ثُمَّ جَلَسَ لِلنَّاسِ Then he would sit for the people to receive them. And in other narrations related by Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shayba and his al-Musannaf Imam Tabarani and others, we learn that the Prophet wasallam's noble habit was that whenever he would return from a journey, he would visit the masjid first, he would perform salah therein, he would sit, receive the people, then he would go to see his daughter Fatima radiallahu anha. He would always see his daughter Fatima radiallahu anha first. And then he would go home to his wives. So when he did this, he prayed his salah and then he sat down in the masjid and began receiving the people. Those who were kept behind, they came to him. So they began pleading excuses before him and swearing in the name of Allah and taking oaths before him. And they were 80 and a few more men. So approximately 100 men, the hypocrites. فَقَبِلَ مِنْهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَى نِيَتَهُمْ So Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam accepted their apparent state from them. وَبَايَعَهُمْ And he accepted their bay'ah. وَاسْتَغْفَرَ لَهُمْ And he sought forgiveness for them. وَوَكَلَ سَرَائِرَهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And he assigned their Interior to Allah the Exalted. The Prophet knew that these people had no valid excuse to, to remain behind. And on his return, Allah had already revealed to him before his arrival in Medina. يَعْتَذِرُونَ إِلَيْكُمْ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ إِلَيْهِمْ قُلْ لَا تَعْتَذِرُونَ 
Sorry, this has to do with something else. Yes, When you will return, they will plead excuses to you. So the Prophet ﷺ knew that they would lie to him. That they would make false excuses. And yet, how did he treat them? They came, he accepted whatever they said. He accepted their appearances and their apparent words. He listened to their excuses. He didn't respond much. He didn't engage with them. They said whatever they said, wanted to. He accepted whatever they said, apparently. And he left them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was the way of the Messenger of Allah with the people of hypocrisy and falsehood. As for the people of truth, for they are the ones who are tested. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, فَجِئْتُهُ So I came to him. فَلَمَّا سَلَّمْتُ عَلَيْهِ So when I greeted him with salam, تَبَسَّمَ تَبَسُّمَ الْمُغْضَبِ تَبَسَّمَ تَبَسُّمَ الْمُغْضَبِ He smiled the smile of an angry person. The, the best way of describing this is imagine someone who is close to you, someone you actually love. But they have hurt you. So at one and the same time, you are angry with them. You are hurt, you are in pain. You don't want to see them, but your love for them still draws you to them. So you are angry with them. You don't want to see them, and yet you still want to see them. And when you see them, you don't know how you will feel or how you will react. It is awkward. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved the sincere sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He loved Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhum. Because Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhum had done a lot for him. And he knew he was sincere. But he had wronged the messenger of Allah and he had wronged Allah. He had wronged himself. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was angered by him, pained by him, hurt by him. But he still loved him. And he wanted to see him. But when he did see him, there was that clash of emotion. So he smiled. But he smiled the smile of an angry person. And in another narration of the hadith, he smiled but he also turned away. In displeasure. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anh went and sat down in front of him and said, O Messenger of Allah, why do you turn away from me? For by Allah, I have not been a hypocrite, nor have I doubted, nor have I changed my religion. Then he said, come. So before Ka'b ibn Malik actually sat down in front of him, Rasulullah did look at him and then he said to him, come. 
قال كعب بن مالك رضي الله عنه says ثم قال he the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said تعال كم فجئت أمشي so I began walking حتى جلست بين يدي until I sat before him فقال لي so he said to me ما خلفك what kept you behind ألم تكن قد ابتعت ظهرك had you not purchased your mount, your animal, i.e. for the transport? So I said, yes, of course. The reason for asking this is that the Prophet knew that Ka'b ibn Malik had the means and the possessions and the provisions. So it wasn't through lack of resources. In fact, he knew that he had already purchased and prepared his, well, he had already purchased his mode of transport, his animal. So why then did he still remain behind? So he says, had you not purchased your mount? I said, of course. Wallahi ya Rasulullah. He says, by Allah, Messenger of Allah. Wallahi, again, by Allah. Law jalista inda ghayrikum in ahli dunya. If I had sat... Before anyone else other than you of the people of the world, that I think, I'm sure, that I would be able to come out of his displeasure with an excuse. And I have been given force in arguments. Because remember, he was a poet. And a very forceful poet. I mentioned that the tribe of those, they actually embraced Islam because of just a few couplets he had uttered in, as a threat to them. And on the day of Uhud, he answered Abu Sufyan. And not only did he answer him, but he satirized the Quraysh and lampooned them. And he spontaneously, impromptu, he composed and recited verses on the battlefield before the battle commenced, which motivated the companions عنهم, and served as an answer to Abu Sufyan's attempts to create a wedge between the Ansar and the Muhajirun. That was the force of his speech. That was the power of his language and his eloquence. And he knew that, everybody else knew that. But he sits before the Messenger of Allah and says, By Allah, twice he says, Wallahi ya Rasulullah, Wallah, by Allah, O Messenger of Allah, by Allah. If I had sat before anyone else other than you of the people of the world, I am sure I would be able to come out of that person's displeasure very easily with any excuse. And verily, I have been given force of speech and arguments. Literally, jadla means I have been given arguments. Walakinni wallahi, he continues, but by Allah, laqad alimt, I know for sure. La'in haddathtuka al-yawma haditha kathibin, tardabih, anni, if I speak to you today, any speech of falsehood and lying, with which you are content with me and pleased with me, 
Then very soon Allah will cause you to be angry with me. I through some other means. And if I speak to you a speech of truth, because of which you are displeased with me, you do become displeased with me. Verily, I hope in that for the forgiveness of Allah. Very simple. O Messenger of Allah, I could actually say anything to you as a lie. But I know for sure that by Allah, you will be pleased with me temporarily. But falsehood cannot last. And the lie will not endure. And sooner or later, through one mean or another, Allah will reveal the truth to you, and Allah will cause you to become angry with me. But if I speak the truth to you, it will hurt you. You will be displeased. But that displeasure will be temporary, because I will have done the right thing. And therein I will hope for the forgiveness of Allah, and through Allah's forgiveness and His pleasure, your forgiveness and displeasure. La wallahi. Nay, by Allah, ma kana li min udr. I had no excuse whatsoever for remaining behind. Wallahi ma kuntu qat. By Allah, I had never ever been. As strong, I as healthy, and as wealthy as I was when I remained behind from you. So Allah's Messenger said, As for him, he has spoken the truth. So rise. Until Allah passes His judgment about you. See the contrast. The hypocrites came. Some of them had come to the Prophet ﷺ before he left. And they had actually joked amongst themselves that let's go to Muhammad and plead excuses with him. If he gives us permission, then we can stay behind with his blessing. And if he refuses his permission, we still don't go with him. There were others who never bothered coming to seek permission from him before, but now they came. And they made excuses. They lied to him. Prophet ﷺ didn't engage with them, didn't interrogate them. Whatever they said, the Prophet ﷺ just accepted. He even, they asked him to pray for them, so he prayed for them. And there was a word earlier on, وَبَايَعَهُمْ The Prophet ﷺ accepted their bay'ah, their pledge. What does that mean? They were Muslims, apparently. So they had already pledged themselves earlier, they had already given their bay'ah earlier. 
So, why is it mentioned here that he accepted their bay'ah? I've explained before that bay'ah simply means an agreement. And it's something that can occur again and again, it can recur. And there are different types of bay'ah. One is known as the bay'ah of Islam, the bay'ah of Islam, as some of them would give. One is known as bay'ah al-ta'ah, the bay'ah of obedience, of following. One is also known as bay'ah al-tawbah, the agreement or the pledge of repentance. So when they would, on this occasion, what they did is that they made their excuses and they reaffirmed their commitment to the Prophet ﷺ and reminded him that we are still committed to you. So this wasn't a new bay'ah, they simply renewed their original pledge. And the Prophet ﷺ accepted that as well. Whatever they said, they, he accepted but here, the Prophet ﷺ insinuated something. He dropped a hint. Close to a hundred of them came. They said, Ya Rasulullah, pray for us. He prayed for them. They gave him the bay'ah. He accepted their bay'ah. They offered their excuses. He accepted their excuses. He did not interrogate them. He didn't engage them. They even said, O Messenger of Allah, seek Allah's forgiveness for us. So the Prophet ﷺ even did istighfar for them. Then they left. Ka'b ibn Malik anhu came, he turned away. When he saw him at a distance, he smiled. But the smile, the joy of seeing him, was overwhelmed by the pain that he had caused. So he smiled, the smile of an angry person. Then when he, he said to him, come, when he came closer, he turned away. He said to him, why do you turn away? I've explained the whole conversation. The Prophet ﷺ did all this with him. Ka'b ibn Malik confessed to the truth. So the Prophet ﷺ said to everyone who was present, أَمَّا هَذَا فَقَدْ صَدَقَ He dropped a huge hint. He said, as for this one, he has spoken the truth. Meaning all the others, As for him, he has spoken the truth. So he said to him, rise, until Allah decides about you. SubhanAllah. Those who speak the truth, those who repent sincerely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may punish them in this dunya. But as for others, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may leave them be, but Allah defers their punishment to the akhirah. In a hadith later by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, and by Ibn Hibban in his Sahih, and by others, from Abdullah ibn Mughaffal radiyallahu anhu, it's related that the Prophet ﷺ said, When Allah wishes good for a person, Allah hastens his punishment in the world. But when Allah wishes ill for a person, Allah defers his punishment till the hereafter. 
until he comes on the day of judgment with his sins as though his sins are like the mount of Ayr. One of the mountains of Medina is known as Ayr, Jabal Ayr. He said his sins accumulate until they are equivalent to the mass of Mount Ayr. And this is exactly what happened here. Allah accepted, Allah and His Messenger وسلم, accepted the apparent condition of the munafiqeen, of the hypocrites, and let them be. He deferred their punishment and their accountability till the akhirah. As for Ka'b ibn Malik, radiyallahu he made a mistake, but he spoke the truth, and his repentance was sincere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested him. Not only for his mistake, but Allah tested him in his repentance also. This whole story is about his test in his repentance. This is why I gave you the, the hadith, the title, The Ordeal of Sincere Repentance. Repentance isn't just a question of saying sorry. When a person repents sincerely, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts that person's tawbah, Allah azza wa jal punishes him possibly in the dunya for his repentance. But his repentance is accepted. But sincere repentance itself is an ordeal. Punishment for one's sins in the dunya is an ordeal. But it's part of one's repentance. And that's what happened with Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. As that hadith explained, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, when, when Allah wishes good for a person, Allah hastens his punishment in the world. When Allah wishes ill for a person, Allah defers his punishment till the hereafter. Until he comes on the day of reckoning, how? With his sins, as though his sins are equivalent, or they are like Mount Ayr. So Rasulullah said, Amma hadha faqad for him, he has spoken the truth, rise until Allah decides about you. فقمت. So Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anh continues, he says, I rose. So a number of men from Banu Salima, they sprang up. They jumped and they followed me. His, his clan, so his own family members, his extended family his close relatives, the people of Banu Salima, his own clan, they jumped up and they rose and they followed him. Why? فَقَالُوا لِي So they said to me, وَاللَّهِ مَا عَلِمْنَاكَ كُنْتَ أَذْنَبْتَ ذَنْبًا قَبْلَ هَذَا By Allah, we have never ever known you to have committed a sin before this. وَلَقَدْ عَجَسْتَ أَلَّا تَكُونَ اَعْتَذَرْتِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِمَا اَعْتَذَرَ بِهِ الْمُتْخَلِّفُونَ And how could you fail to offer an excuse to the Messenger of Allah with the same excuse 
that the others who remain behind offered to the Messenger of Allah, i.e. his family members, his clan members, came to him and said to him that, look, okay, it was a mistake. You made one mistake. We, we experience similar things when people come to reassure us. People try to make us feel better. And that's what they did. They tried to convince him that, look, okay, you made one mistake. It's just one mistake. By Allah, before this day, we've never known you to do anything wrong. You've never committed a sin. You made one mistake. So why couldn't you just do what the others did? There was a reason for this, because they, like I said, it was a very tribal society. So family meant a lot. Relatives meant a lot. One's clan meant a lot. One for one, one for all, all for one, all for all. One for all, all for one. That's how they lived. Any blemish on one person was a blemish on the whole family. Any blemish on the family was a blemish on the clan. So some of the members felt that, look, it, it looks bad not just on him but on us. So they came to him and they said, look, why couldn't you just do what the others did? Okay, you made a mistake, one mistake. You've never done anything wrong before this. So couldn't you just make up any excuse like the others did? They got away with it. And in one narration it said that he would have accepted your excuse just as he accepted the excuse of the others. They continued. Furthermore, they also said, well before I continue, let me just explain something. In another narration of the hadith, it describes more detail what they said to him. So they said quite a few things to him. And... He was so shaken by their pressure that for a moment he was hesitant. And he was fluctuating between going away and actually going back to Rasulullah wasallam and saying to him what they suggested. That oh, Messenger of Allah, no, I did have a valid excuse and this was my excuse. And they continued, قَدْ كَانَ كَافِيَكْ ذَنْبَكْ إِسْتِخْفَارُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ لَكْ And the seeking of forgiveness by the Messenger of Allah would have been sufficient for your sin. Meaning some of them came up with a very strange suggestion. Which is, the question was, look, I am wrong, I did wrong. Now even if I lie, I can lie to the Prophet ﷺ. But how will that save me from Allah? So some of them even came up with this novel suggestion that you see, if you get away with lying to the Prophet ﷺ and he accepts your excuse, he'll do istighfar for you just as he did istighfar for the others. And when the Prophet ﷺ does istighfar, if, if the Messenger of Allah seeks forgiveness on your behalf, it will wipe away your sin. So he said, he, his, they said, 
the messenger of Allah's seeking forgiveness on your part will be sufficient for your sin. He says, by Allah, they continued to rebuke me. Until I intended to return to the Messenger of Allah for nafsi and belie myself. Which means that I actually felt so pressured and so confused by them, so disturbed. And they rebuked me so much that I intended to go back and belie myself, meaning I say to the Prophet ﷺ, or Messenger of Allah, no, I was actually lying. When I said to you earlier on that I was speaking the truth, I was actually lying. Now I'm speaking the truth. <coughs> That's the effect of pressure. But those who are sincere, Allah helps them. Despite all the pressure. And it's not mentioned here, but in another narration. They said to him, why don't you go back and speak? Surely, can't you make up any excuse? You have given, been given the force of arguments and you have been given eloquence. And they even said to him, وَإِنَّكَ لَشَاعِرٌ And verily, you are a bold poet. You are a bold poet. You're a poet. Can't you say anything to the Messenger of Allah? Look at Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu reply when they said to him that you are a bold poet. But he said, not in lying. I can compose poetry, but not as a lie. He recognized truth for what it was. Even if he had to suffer temporarily. Because ultimately, it's truth that saves a person. Lying may save a person temporarily, but ultimately it destroys. And for a Muslim, honesty, truthfulness, in speech, and in words, and in character, and in deed. But here we're speaking about honesty in speech, truthfulness in speech. is so important. The lying is one of the major sins. And truthfulness leads to so much good, lying leads to so much evil. Lying corrupts a person's character. This is why Rasulullah has actually told us not to even lie to children, not to even lie whilst joking. As he said, they said to him, The verily, you are a bold poet. His reply was, That I do not lie, not in lying. Meaning, I don't lie even in poetry. And I may be a bold poet, but I cannot lie in my poetry. In one hadith, related by Abu Dawood in his sunan, and by others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Umama radiyallahu an relates this beautiful hadith. He says, أنا زعيم ببيت في ربض الجنة لمن ترك المراء وإن كان محقا وببيت في وسط الجنة لمن ترك الكذب وإن كان مازحا 
وببيت في اعلى الجنه لمن حسن خلقه او كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم امام ابو داود رحمه الله عليه انا اذكر لك هذا الحديث from Abu Umama radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, and a za'im, I am a guarantor. I guarantee, I am a guarantor. I take the responsibility of what? Of a house on the outskirts of Jannah. For that person who abandons arguments even though he is on the right. He is in the right. Then he continues, and I am a guarantor of a house in the center of Jannah. For one, لمن ترك الكذب وإن كان مازحا For someone who abandons lying even in jest, even whilst joking. So Rasulullah has told us, don't even lie while joking. And the final part of the hadith is, and I am a guarantor of a house in the highest part of Jannah, for someone who makes beautiful his manners. And Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal relates a hadith in his Musnad. From Abdullah ibn Amir radiyallahu anhu. Abdullah ibn Amir radiyallahu anhu was one of the youngest Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. In fact, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away, they say that he was reportedly only five, six, seven years old. But he still has a hadith. And his hadith is a very beautiful one. So Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates from Abdullah ibn Amir radiallahu and he says that one day the Prophet sallallahu came to visit us at our house. And I was a child. So I went out to play. I was going out to play. So the Prophet ﷺ came. That child is a child. So he said, I was going out to play. So my mother wanted to stop me. So she called me. And she said, come here, I'll give you something. I'll give you. The words are, Ta'al utik. Come, I'll give you. So the Prophet ﷺ said to the mother of Abdullah ibn Amir, what were you going to give him? So she said, dates. So she did give him dates. Prophet ﷺ said, had you not given him dates, this would have been registered as a lie against you. Sometimes when we say to children, come here, come here, I'll give you something, the poor child thinks we're going, he's going to, he or she's going to get something sweet. And then unfortunately... Not anymore, but in the old days. <laughs> Subhanallah. So Rasulullah has told us, don't lie whilst joking. Don't lie even to children. That's a false promise. And as far as lying to one another is concerned, lying as adults, lying... That is a sign of hypocrisy. Truthfulness is a sign of a believer. And in one hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhima, and many others, from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, and this is the wording of Sahih Muslim, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Alaykum bis-sidq. Fa'inna sidq yahdi ila al-bir. Wa'inna al-bir yahdi ila al-jannah. Wa'ma yizalu al-rajl yastuq wa yatahar al-sidq hatta yuktab inda Allah al-siddiq. Wa'iyyakum wal-kathib. Fa'inna al-kathib yahdi ila al-fujur. Wa'inna al-fujur yahdi ila al-nar. Wa'ma yizalu al-rajl yakthib wa yatahar al-kathib hatta yuktab inda Allah al-kathaba. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Alaykum bis-sidq, adhere to the truth. I speak in the truth. Adhere to truthfulness. For verily truthfulness leads a person to piety. And indeed piety, righteousness, leads a person to jannah. And a man speaks the truth. And continue, a man continues to speak the truth and seek opportunities to speak the truth until he is recorded by Allah as a voracious person, an extremely honest, truthful and trustworthy person, as a Siddiq. He is recorded by Allah and registered by Allah as a Siddiq. A voracious person. And then he continues. And beware of lying. For indeed lying leads and guides to sinning. And sinning leads and guides to Jahannam. To the fire. And a man continues to lie. And seek opportunities to lie until he is registered by Allah as a gadab, an excessive great liar. And the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa are prophetic. They contain so much wisdom, philosophy and psychology. What's the meaning of a man la speaks the truth and continues to speak the truth and seeks opportunities to speak the truth? When a person is honest in speech, that translates into honest actions. And not just honest actions, but it translates into an honest, truthful character. The person is true in speech, in deed, and in character. They identify with the truth. They are comfortable with the truth. They are inclined to the truth. They recognize the truth. And their character becomes one, a character of truth. So much so, that now the person actually seeks out opportunities to speak the truth, to defend the truth, to stand up for the truth. The person seeks opportunities for the truth. And this leads a person reaching such a lofty status that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says he is registered as a Siddiq, a voracious person in the sight of Allah. But on the other hand, <coughs> this is why people who are honest and truthful and who have characters of truth, they are hurt by lies. And they are angered by falsehood. And that's why they are so passionate about the truth. 
Because truth is their being and their very character. There is no falsehood in them. But conversely, and this is something to reflect on, Rasulullah says a man lies and a man continues to lie and seeks out lying. And he seeks lying. He searches for lying. He heads towards lying. This means that when a person lies with their tongue, soon that lying leads to sinfulness. It's not an innocent lie. It leads to sinfulness. It leads to false behavior. It leads to a lying character. A person's character becomes false. This is why Allah says of the munafiqoon, يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ They attempt to deceive Allah, whereas Allah is the one who is keeping them in error. When a person lies so much, he or she becomes so deluded that they actually think that we can deceive the Creator. We can lie against the Creator. And soon their character becomes one of falsehood. They lie to themselves. So they are unable to distinguish between truth and falsehood, reality and imagination, even with themselves. And they become, when they lie once, person lies, lies, lies. What does the Prophet ﷺ say? The person seeks out opportunities to lie. So such people become serial liars, excessive liars, compulsive liars, impulsive liars. Pathological lies. And they, these aren't all synonyms. There are subtle distinctions between all of these definitions. Person becomes an excessive liar. And then a compulsive liar. An impulsive liar. Person lies on impulse. There's no impetus. There's no reason. There's no wisdom. There's no point. It's automatic. It's spontaneous. It's almost like they prefer lying to falsehood. Sorry, they prefer lying to speaking the truth. And I've experienced it. I'm sure many others have. With other people, not myself. But I've experienced it in the sense that you cannot make sense of the lie. So you ask someone, uh, where were you? And the person was actually, let's say, in the masjid. So the person was in the masjid. And you knew they were in the masjid. You have evidence that they were in the masjid. But they say, I was in the marketplace. So they actually prefer lying and saying they were in the marketplace rather than speaking the truth and win a point by saying I was in the masjid. Serial lying, impulsive lying, compulsive, excessive lying until it becomes pathological. Pathological means there's some pathology up there. There's a desire to lie. There's an insatiable desire. You actually feed that desire by lying. A person doesn't feel content until they've had their fix of lying. 
That's the meaning of And a person continues to lie and seeks opportunities to lie. So if they, there's nothing to lie about in the words of Rasulullah he'll actually search for something to lie about. Until he is registered as a kathab, an excessive liar by Allah. I mean, yeah, there are many definitions. One is known as Munchausen syndrome. Munchausen was a German aristocrat or baron. He was wealthy, he was respectful. Well, he was wealthy, he was part of the elite, part of the aristocracy. And he had no reason. Yeah, he used to invent fancy tales and fantastic stories about himself. He was such a great liar, they actually named the condition after him. <laughs> Munchausen syndrome. There's no need for him to lie. <coughs> Hypochondriacs are the same. Where a person lies merely to win attention, but they lie about anything. And they lie to themselves as well. There was one person, I remember, he mentioned that he had been to hospital and had 26 surgical operations. 26 surgical operations. And he later confessed that he was never sick. He was never sick. He never suffered any of the symptoms that he was claiming. For all of those operations. But he went simply because he loved the attention and being in hospital. (laughs) And he loved the attention. That's what hypochondriacs do. They lie about, about themselves and their illness. And they act so convincingly. One of the reasons they are able to act so well is because partially they believe themselves. If not entirely. We may have a few giggles about this, but the devastation that lying causes, the destruction, the mayhem and the carnage that it leaves in its wake for the perpetrators of the lie, as well as the victims and others, is colossal. And the damage is serious. And it's no laughing matter. In fact, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has told us in the hadith of Abu Dawood, I guarantee a house, I'm a guarantor of a house in the center, in the middle of Jannah, for someone who abandons lying, even in jest, even whilst joking. And as far as lying itself is concerned, Allahu Akbar. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a famous hadith later by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and many others. It's a famous hadith. Ayatul munafiq thalath. Iza haddatha kathab wa iza wa'ada akhlaf wa iza atumina khaaf. The signs of a hypocrite are three. The first one. Iza haddatha kathab. When he speaks, he lies. Wa iza wa'ada akhlaf. And when he makes a promise, he breaks that promise. And when he's entrusted with an item of trust, he is treacherous. So Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate this hadith from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. And in one of the narrations of the same hadith, 
by Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi. You know what the wording is? The wording is as follows. Ayatul munafiq thalathum. وَإِنْ صَامَ وَصَلَّى وَزَعَمَ أَنَّهُ مُسْلِمٌ The signs of a hypocrite are three, even though he may fast and pray and claim to be a Muslim. إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ When he speaks, he lies. وَإِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفٌ And when he makes a promise, he breaks his promise. وَإِذَا تُمِنَ خَانٌ When he is entrusted with an item of trust, he breaks that trust. And there's another hadith which is similar. But related again by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others. But from another companion, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas radiyallahu anhumah. And the wording of this hadith is, أَرْبَعٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَ مُنَافِقٌ خَالِصًا وَمَنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَسْلَةٌ مِّنْهُنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَسْلَةٌ مِّنَ النِّفَاقِ حَتَّى يَدْعَاهَا إِذَا أَتُمِنَ خَانْ وَإِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ وَإِذَا عَاهَدَ غَدَرْ وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ فَجَرًا the Prophet ﷺ says, listen to the wording very carefully. There are four traits. If found in a person, he is a pure hypocrite. And if one of these traits is found in him, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he removes it. And the four traits are, the first one, when he is entrusted with an item of trust, he is treacherous. He betrays that trust. This is one of the same three mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu Number two, When he speaks, he lies. Again, the same one from the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu The third one, The wording is slightly different, but it means the same thing. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu When he makes a promise, so he breaks that promise. Here, when he makes an agreement, he betrays that agreement. Same, betrays that promise. But in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiallahu anhu, there's a fourth trait, which is distinct and additional to the one in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. It says, وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ فَجَرَ When he falls into conflicts and disputes with someone, then he sins. Uh, we don't have time to go into the meaning, but all it means is we all have our disagreements. We all have our disagreements. It's human, it's natural. But what Islam teaches us is to manage our conflicts, to manage our disagreements. When a person goes beyond all bounds, when a person is unable to contain the disagreement, when a person misbehaves in the disagreement, or when a person fails to keep the disagreement confined to its own sphere, then that is not the sign of a believer, that is a sign of a hypocrite. But here we are focusing on the words, When he speaks, he lies. And this hadith has a very, well, it has another meaning, well, part of the meaning of this hadith is, question is, four traits, if all four are found in a person, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy. Or he is a pure hypocrite. If one of them, then one of the traits of hypocrisy. So what happens if someone, sometimes we find ourselves being guilty of all four. Of lying, of breaking people's trust, of being treacherous in our, in our agreements, and of going beyond the bounds in our disagreements. 
very dangerous. But the best way of understanding this is that if the person is still not yet a hypocrite, all sins, all good deeds create a momentum. And all sins create a momentum. Each good deed makes a subsequent good deed easier. And it facilitates the next good deed. But each sin facilitates a second sin. And each sin creates a momentum which propels a person along the path of iniquity and sin. That's why Allah says in Surah Al-Layl, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنَيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنَيَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى We don't have time, but simply, Allah says, As for one who gives ayin charity, and who fears Allah, and is conscious of Allah, and who attests to the good, i.e. the truth of Islam, فَسَنَيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى We shall ease him unto ease. And what's the meaning of we shall ease him unto ease? One of the meanings is, just as he does these good things, we shall grant him the tawfiq and the divine enablement and the ability to do even more good. But on the other hand, وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى As for one who is stingy and miserly and withholds giving in char- from giving in charity, and who rejects the beautiful truth, i.e. of Islam, the Qur'an, etc., or of good in general, then what shall... And who considers himself independent and not in need of Allah, Allah says, We shall ease him unto difficulty. Meaning, each sin of his will create a momentum for further sins. And that's exactly what's happening here. When a person lies, one lie leads to more lies. Until he develops a character of lying. Until eventually he is registered as, a excess, as an excessive liar by Allah. And here as well, this has a trait of hypocrisy. Lying is a trait of hypocrisy. If a person is not a hypocrite now, there is a great danger that through these sins that are so close to hypocrisy, Allah may seal his heart and make him a true hypocrite. And that's actually in the Qur'an. In Surah At-Tawbah, coincidentally, the same surah that deals with Ghazbat Tabuk, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about some of them, the hypocrites, فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ نِفَاقًا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ إِلَى يَوْمِ يَلْقَوْنَهُ بِمَا أَخْلَفُوا اللَّهُ مَا وَعَدُوهُ وَبِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ Allah says, there are of them, i.e. the hypocrites, who promised Allah that if Allah gives us of His grace and bounty, we will surely give in charity and we will surely be of the pious. So when Allah did give him of His grace and bounty, give them, they were stingy, they were miserly, contrary to their promise. And they turned away from Allah. So Allah says, as a result and in punishment, Allah created hypocrisy for them, in their hearts, till the day that they shall meet Allah. Why? As a direct result, بِمَا أَخْلَفُ Allah, Because they broke their promise to Allah, مَا وَعَدُوا وَبِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ Because they would lie. What that verse tells us, that 
Allah sealed their hearts and made them hypocrites and planted hypocrisy in their hearts directly as a result of their breaking their promises to Allah and because of their lying. So we should fear that this sin of lying, if we indulge in it, if we engage in it, not only is it a sign of hypocrisy, but Allah forbid, it leads to true hypocrisy, not just hypocrisy of deed, but hypocrisy of faith and true hypocrisy of the heart. There are other hadith as well, and there are many of the verses of the Qur'an. In fact, I'll just end with one verse of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يَفْتَرِ الْكَذِبَ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Only those who do not believe in the signs and the verses of Allah, only they truly invent lies, and these are the ones who are lies. I.e., if a person has true belief in Allah and accountability before Allah, that person will not lie. Only a person who ultimately, in faith and in deed and in practice, and to all intents and purposes, does not believe in Allah, only that person will invent and fabricate lies. Kam ibn Malik radiyallahu recognized and knew all of this. And that's why he refused to bow to the pressure of his own family members. And he refused to lie to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was willing to speak the truth and suffer the consequences. And when some of his family members, it's not mentioned here, but in another narration, they said to him, why don't you go back and just make an excuse? Lie, can't you do it? Ka'b ibn Malik eventually said, he did that first, he was hesitant. But he then resolved to speak the truth and remain firm on the truth. And he told his family members, listen, I will not commit sin upon sin. I will not commit two sins. I will not wrong the Prophet ﷺ twice. In that, I stayed away from him. And now that I lied to him also, no, I won't do that. That's why he resolved to speak the truth to him no matter what came. And that's exactly what he did. I'll end with just one sentence. Two sentences and we'll inshallah continue next week. So I then said to them, after confirming that he would not lie, he said, Has anyone else met with the same fate with me? They said yes. Two men. They both said exactly what you just said, i.e. they spoke the truth. So what was said to you was said to them also, meaning they were given the same reply. That they've spoken the truth, so go until Allah decides your matter. فَقُلْتُ مَنْهُمَا So I said, who are they? قَالُوا They both said, مُرَارَةُ بْنُ الرَّبِيعِ الْعَمْرِ One was مُرَارَةُ بْنُ الرَّبِيعِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهِ And the other was وَهِلَارُ بْنُ أُمَيَّهِ الْوَاقِفِي هِلَارُ بْنُ أُمَيَّهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا فَذَكَرُوا لِي رَجَلَيْنِ صَالِحَيْنِ قَدْ شَهِدَا بَدْرًا So they mentioned to me two pious men who had both been present in the battle of Badr. فِيهِمَا أُسْوَةِ In them was an example to follow. So he was reassured that, no, I'm doing the right thing. I will speak the truth, 
I've spoken the truth, I will not turn back on my word, I will suffer the consequences. And then when he said, has anyone else suffered the same fate? They said, yes, two men. They both said exactly what you said, i.e. they confessed to the truth. And they were both given the same reply. And said, who are they? So they said, Muraratu ibn rabiy and Hilal ibn Umayyah. So Ka'am ibn Malik said, I realize that these are two veterans of the battle of Badr. And if it's good for them, it's good for me. And that I felt that they are a beautiful example to follow. In them is an example to follow of truthfulness. Remember, he, I've said before that the veterans of Badr were considered the elite amongst the Muslims. And Sayyidina Hatib radiallahu an, when he, there was, there was, when he informed the people of Mecca of the Prophet sallallahu intentions just before the conquest of Mecca, and it was discovered that he had betrayed the Prophet sallallahu secrets. Rasulullah was displeased initially, and the Sahaba radiallahu anhu were furious, and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an stated his standard statement that O Messenger of Allah grant me permission, give me leave to strike off the head of this hypocrite. But Hat ibn Abi Balta'ah radiyallahu an was a veteran of the Battle of Badr. Even on that occasion, on on the occasion of such an apparent great on, on the occasion of an apparently great betrayal. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, he gave him his reasons, he accepted his reasons, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam believed him, and he pacified Umar radiallahu an and calmed him, and said to him, leave him, O Umar, for it is highly possible that Allah has looked at the, at the people of Badr, and said to them, اعملوا ما شئتم فقد غفرت لكم, do what you wish for I have forgiven you. And Hati ibn Abi Balta'a was one of the veterans of the Battle of Badr. So here as well, Murarat ibn Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah they were the veterans of the Battle of Badr. And Ka'b ibn Malik hadn't participated in the Battle of Badr as he mentioned at the beginning. So when he realized that Murarat ibn Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah are suffering the same fate, he realized that there must be good khayr and wisdom in this, for after all, they are the veterans of the Battle of Badr. And in them is a beautiful example to follow. I will take my punishment, he felt, and I will, and he resolved to remain on the truth as he had confessed to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We'll end here, inshallah, we'll continue next week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.